The Airline Business Podcast is sponsored by Panasonic Avionics. Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, Middle East Airlines buy in Dubai as growth is back on the agenda and Air Cargo struggles to deliver profits. My name's Graham Dunn, Executive Editor at Flight Global, and joining me as ever is Airline Business Editor, Lewis Harper. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yes, good. Good to be back from um, the heat and the news and stories from Dubai. Always uh, an extremely interesting air show to, uh, to go to. Always busy. Yeah, always busy. And Dubai is an interesting one because um, I, I wasn't at this year's show, but but obviously um, there's the second running of it in the sort of COVID era, I guess. I think I'm right in saying the first big sort of global show to come back in 2021, I think. So, yeah, so it's had a two year cycle there since COVID hit. So, um, so yeah, so from, from that point of view, I guess an indication of um, how far we are coming out of the COVID crisis. And, and as you say, reflected in some pretty meaty order activity uh, over the past couple of weeks definitely so yes i mean when i remember the forms and the travel (laughs) the travel hassles that had to be done uh, to make it to dubai which as you say was the first show to to come back that was quite something and masks and everything and and you know it is very much as though covid is in the rear window um rear view window it's not rear window um Mm. you could definitely see that and it felt that way and it was definitely a return to um business activities and orders and and notably of course on on the first day on the the Dubai Air Show is quite an interesting one. It has quite often has been sort of famine and feast. We've had some absolutely <laughs> crazily busy mm. years, 2017, 2013. Um, um, there was one memorable year where Boeing launched the 777X and you had these massive orders from Etihad, Emirates, Qatar. And for a moment on that first day of the show, it did look as though we were in for a, you know, another really bumper boom period. We had a, a the whole show kicked off with um, an order for 45 firm and 45 uh, options and purchase rights from Sun Express for more Max aircraft. And then obviously we had this massive order from Emirates and Fly Dubai, uh, Emirates covering 95 wide bodies, predominantly 777s, and Fly Dubai taking Dreamliners, its first wide bodies. And that really set the tone and the pace of it. Um, across the rest of the week, the, the pace dropped off a little bit. We run a, an, a, an order tracker, which kind of keeps, as the name suggests, track of the orders or at least order announcements. So it covers uh, options, commitments and MOUs and so forth at the show. And there were uh, this was the third busiest Dubai air show since we've been covering that. And I suspect of all time, I would imagine uh, just over 400. There are 403 order commitments uh, announced during the show and almost half of those are wide bodies and you know that says something for I guess the business model in the Middle East. It does yeah and um, you know more than one person just talked about you know we know that it's particularly hard to get hold of narrow bodies at the moment and you know there is you know some talk that that will kind of move into the wide body sector um, because of you know partly because of supply chain challenges etc and and you know the, these types of um, order levels are clearly very significant in, in wide body terms as you say and you know emirates um when you talk about doing your order tracker 
of course, just as you had locked that down, they sprung a bit of a surprise, I guess, on the... Uh, uh, was that even the last day of the show? I don't know if it was still going on at that point, but um, with a commitment for the A350-900, um, I think 15 of them. So, so yeah, um, Tim Clark, talking about the Emirates order, uh, he subsequently appeared at Airlines 2023 in London, you know, obviously talked a bit about the thinking that, I mean, we kind of knew that Emirates were in the market for some wide bodies um, at the IATA AGM um, earlier this year. Tim Clark, you know, I think it's fairly straightforward. They they want to grow. They didn't have the orders to fulfil what what they think they need looking you know, into the next decade. So there we are. That's um that's what they've been doing. And um, there's lots of stuff for Tim Clark. You know, we'll, we'll talk about, obviously, the age old problem with the, the A380 not having a, a direct replacement in terms of size. And, you know, Clark is, is quite clear that, you know, in a capacity constrained environment um, at some of the biggest hubs globally, that, you know, that, that's a challenge if you, you're having to reduce the number of people you're flying in. But, you know, you know, Emirates very much on, on the front foot. I think Clark's talked about how they took a bit of a gamble during the pandemic in terms of ramping up operations, basically on the assumption that things were going to come back much more quickly than than some people were forecasting. And Clark broadly thinks they were right on that. You know, and we're talking about growth, something at the 80 percent level in terms of capacity they're looking at through to the end of the next decade. So. So, yeah, no. Um, question marks around their business model or anything as far as Clark is concerned. So very much pushing on there. Um, so, yeah, um, Clark on, on great form as ever. And I'll just add, obviously, he was asked about his own position because you know, going into the pandemic, it was confirmed that he was meant to be retiring, I think, in 2020. But he stayed on, understandably, to, to see Emirates through you know, the, the huge global crisis that, that the whole industry went through. But yeah, there weren't any indications he's looking to step away anytime soon. We know that the IATA AGM's in Dubai next year. So, you know, it's very much going to be a place, yeah, if it isn't enough already, but very much a, a focus um, place for, for the global airline industry. So, yeah, very much a statement of in, intent for from Emirates there, even though it wasn't necessarily a huge surprise. And it wasn't just aircraft orders. There were there were a whole series of kind of support agreements. There was a new MRO facility, which they're opening over by Dubai World Central Airport. Um, you know, it, <laughs> there was absolutely no shortage of announcements and business and investment being done mm-hmm. from Emirates and also fly, uh, fly Dubai. And I think Fly Dubai is a very that was very intriguing. They also they have also announced a uh, MRO facility at DWC as well. Part of airlines, I think, um, and this is a theme that goes across, you know, a lot of the orders we saw at the show. A lot of this, a lot of this is about securing positions for the future, securing their their growth, and and especially on the MRO side, I think you're, you know, I wonder if you are seeing a kind of impact of of the supply chain issues and that airlines <laughs> kind of want to make sure they they have things under under their own control to some extent. Yeah, it's certainly part of that theme. You see um, maybe a lesson coming out of COVID is that, you know, reliance on a single geography, um, you know, whatever that is in business continuity terms is perhaps, uh, you know, ill-advised given what we've learned. So not surprising, I'd say, to see um, airlines wanting to take that into their own hands. I think generally talking to, to CEOs during this period of supply chain challenges, you you do get a sense that the ones that are least worried about it are the ones that have those facilities and do a lot in-house, obviously, 
that story probably isn't consistent throughout but but you know there's certainly a, a logic to that um i guess the show was um also significant from who wasn't there i guess and i think i suppose um akbar albaka the, the news that he's leaving qatar airways um or has left now i, I think is um quite big i suppose in in terms of yeah, as journalists what we get from these events because he was always great value and and also you know a significant moment for, for qatar airways and and what comes next yeah absolutely and and qatar was still there you know they had two aircraft on the static display but uh, you know albaka has been the front man of uh, qatar uh, for so long and i don't think it was a surprise to anyone that that they perhaps had a lower profile not least <laughs> because the new ceo has only been in place for a week or so by by the time the show had started but yes it, you know that's an airline which has not just at the buy air show uh, you know over the years qatar has has used air shows as a a real kind of showcase to highlight what it's doing and, and being on the center center stage and you find airlines you know airlines have different approaches to ordering aircraft and some like to use the stage of air shows to kind of maximize the profile and publicity and and some some just quietly order aircraft in the background without without uh anyone knowing so you know everyone has a different approach but it, it was certainly a different air show for not having albaca out on stage uh doing stuff it i mean it was it's it's really intriguing that uh, the state of the major carriers because you also had Riyadh Air, who there was some, you know, they, they have this narrow body order. They've already ordered uh, Boeing 787s. They have, uh, as Tony Douglas, their chief executive, would say, tease and reveal. They have tease and reveal. <laughs> they have definitely flagged the potential of a, uh, a narrow body order. I guess when they were first talking about that, I, I had thought that would probably come at Dubai. It didn't, but they they did have a presence there. Again, they had... Uh, an aircraft in the in their first livery uh, on the static display, and they've also launched a second livery. They plan to fly with two liveries, which is different and another way of you know all of this is around getting the name out there and 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 Riyadh Air are kind of this this thing lurking in the background for other carriers in the region that you have this airline with massive growth aspirations looking to to start operations but not you know you know not for potentially not for another 18 months or so so um it it is quite interesting to see them there so they were a presence and Mm. then you had etihad you know in a really interesting position it's kind of they also had an aircraft on display but they didn't order any new metal they did have a briefing while there and you know they've got a lot to talk about at the moment they are now 20 years 20 years old they sort of came from nowhere and they were had this mission you know not unlike Riyadh here to you know fast track development into Abu Dhabi develop tourism in the area you know they just couldn't deliver that fast enough on their own so they embarked on this equity alliance strategy which you know the likes of Air Berlin, Alitalia, Jet Airways you know names which have all fallen into <laughs> some some disrepair of some kind you know those were difficult airlines to take on and and that project at least from a, a financial perspective sort of fell away and and Etihad had had to go, undergo some restructuring covid hit if, you know for those first 15 years it's growth 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 and then you have sort of the last 5 years has been sort of whole consolidation period for a mix of reasons uh and here they are beginning their third decade with a with a new vision for for stepping forward again and a few things are coming together ironically 
This month, the last of those equity uh, investments ended because they, they still had a, a small stake in Air Serbia. But that's now handed back to the uh, government. The new terminal in Abu Dhabi. And that was a project, the, the uh, midfield terminal was a project that was ongoing for, for many years. Again, that sort of stalled them as actually had unwound its growth aspirations a little bit. But that opened in November as well. And so there's definitely a feeling that Etihad is kind of looking to move forward and go back to growth. You know, they're talking about a doubling in the size of the operation over the, uh, the rest of this decade. I mean, it is interesting. The question that's always asked about Gulf Carres has been <laughs> it's been asked forever. It's been asked again with the arrival of Riyadh is, you know, can the market sustain that many big operators within such a close proximity? And uh, we've seen that Tim Clark was quite uh, relaxed about it. And Antonaldo uh, Neves, uh, the new Etihad chief executive, you know, he just points to where well, you have major carriers within close proximity in other parts of the world. Why can't you manage it in the Gulf? Yeah, the, of course, in Etihad's case, there the, are the definite warnings from history, as you say, over expanding too quickly. But but it is, yeah, when you think about markets globally where yeah, big wide body capacity is going in in the coming years, and as you say, you know, investments in infrastructure are coming through. So whether it is that um, kind of long delayed in terms of its launch, but certainly the new terminal at Abu Dhabi. And then, you, as you mentioned, we've got the new Dubai airport, which will you know, help um, Emirates in its growth. It is a huge market where, where more capacity is going in. You touched on the fact that the CEOs sort of will naturally talk about the fact that they've got their markets and they're not unduly concerned by the competition. We know that you know, Riyadh Air's mission is is very much about feeding traffic into Saudi Arabia as part of a huge push to the tourism there and, and um, the, the consequences of that, which means a lot of building work going on, so a lot of workers coming in, et cetera, et cetera. So, they, yeah, it is possible to kind of argue that, you know, they have their own markets, but equally, there's a lot of capacity going going in there. You know, it's worth mentioning when you think of other markets globally where you know there's a lot of activity along those lines you would clearly look to india as being as we talked about before a huge growth area as well and and interestingly enough of course india is a big market for some of the middle east carriers so you know emirates itself um Qatar airways um lots of connections into india you know and we know you know emirates has had frustrations about not being able to get more slots into um into india um, Qatar Airways has, you know, made moves to actually be directly involved in airlines in India in the past. And, you know, if the newly kind of sensible, in quotes, um, Air India gets his act in order, there's, there's an interesting and competitive element there. I think, again, you you, you hear um, the executives um, at Air India will talk about, well, this is perhaps a different market they're aiming for in, in their growth plans. But, you know, you can't ignore the fact that there are hundreds you know, more than a thousand i think aircraft on order for the two big um, airlines in india and, and they are to, to a degree you know competing against some of that middle eastern traffic at the same time we know that turkish airlines which um you know isn't that far away geographically is itself um, at some point we think going to place a, a mega order for aircraft and has its own expansion plans i don't know we know at the moment this industry is is under capacity but we know historically that it's been over capacity i think at times and um and yeah you could come up with an argument quite quite convincingly i think that certain parts of the world might be heading that way but you know equally um as the uh chief executives will confidently tell you 
their markets have enough going on to to sustain that but um well we'll we'll keep covering it and we'll see and it's worth saying a lot of these aircraft you know you know another 400 commitments made during dubai got you know more aircraft come through but these these aircraft aren't coming <laughs> next year no. you know these aircraft are are increasingly long way out and you know a lot of those orders are for the back end of this of this decade well into the 2030s and it is interesting if you know there's barely a an airline ceo that i've sat down with lately who hasn't in some way been sort of talking about a long-term plan which you know in many cases involves kind of doubling the size of the airline mm. so um you know egypt air they announced um 787 today 350s as part of a fleet plan which is going to see them increase their fleet at least as a first part to 125 aircraft sun express's order you know that takes them to you know a doubling in fleet by you know 2033 35 kind of time and even just yesterday uh iceland air put out it's on its capital market stay in iceland of course has some volcanic <laughs> things in the in the near term which could uh, hit the bomb but for the for the much longer term you know even you know they're setting out a, a route map which is to double in size by 2037 ethiopian ordered more aircraft they have a similar you know mm. i think what pulls this all together is you know you have airlines they're having to place orders now <laughs> because the manufacturers backlogs are increasingly full they're having to get these positions. I mean, exactly what gets pushed to the left and what gets put to the, pushed to the right, who, who knows? But they are having to order this stuff now. And I think also what you've seen is because of COVID, gradually everyone is has come out of it. The kind of the stabilizers have come off and boardrooms, owners, chief executives, network planners, whoever it is, you know, they've had time to stop and think, OK, well, well where are we going? What's the plan? <laughs> and all those plans have come through now. <laughs> yeah, and I think... Um... Obviously, uh, <laughs> at the same time we're talking about these mega orders, we're also um, there isn't a CEO who equally won't tell you that sustainability isn't the biggest challenge facing <laughs> the industry. And, um, yeah, we all know that, you know, growth projections for airline capacity is a kind of, you know, that may have been a bit lost during COVID, but we're back heading towards what sort of pre-COVID expectations there. And, you know, all the while we need to get to net zero by 2050. Um, there's always an acknowledgement that, needed to do that in a growth environment but i think when you you know when you talk about you know like you say so many airlines talking about doubling capacity etc um, it does focus the mind even more more on that no one's uh, ignoring that issue but it, it certainly um, brings it into focus i think well and they're certainly not ignoring that issue at the moment in dubai uh, i suppose that's the other thing mm. that's that's really interesting was kind of noticeable that so there have been a number of of SAF or sustainability announcements uh, over the past couple of months around the UAE in particular, uh, but the Middle East, I guess, in general. The most recent of which was Emirates carrying out uh, an A380 flight, part of which was powered by 100% SAF. And that, of course, it's it's not it's not entirely coincidence that that a lot of that is coming in out now and the the messages are coming out now because Dubai is hosting COP28 uh, this month as well. I mean it's quite it's quite <laughs> surreal to have uh, the air show and COP28. These are kind of 
the most fundamental issues facing uh, the airlines on the one hand which, or the aviation industry as a whole which is you know how can you supply aircraft build aircraft get the aircraft they need what they can look like and how you do it all sustainably sustainably and they all come together at, at the same time in in dubai yes and yeah i think that when we talk about sustainability and what airlines want and need there's quite a a unified message on that i think from most airlines you know you know saf is the the biggest deal i think and you know airlines can't and and don't want to pay for and probably you know by most um, reasonable arguments shouldn't certainly be paying on their own for the development of a of a sustainable aviation fuel industry but as things stand you know whether you've got mandates in place like in the, the eu um whether you've voluntarily said you're going to get to 10 percent south or five percent south by 2030 and Whatever it is, I think um, everyone's in agreement that more action is needed on the part of governments and the energy industry to to get this SAF industry up and running. And it's not the only it's not the only game in town, but we we hear about hydrogen power, etc. But you know, most roadmaps you look at, it's it's SAF that is probably going to make or break this net zero journey. It's quite interesting, actually. Um, you mentioned hydrogen and SAF. Um, most most events. I mean, to, uh, you know, the message is very clear that SAF is, you know, whether it be from airlines or manufacturers or almost anyone in the industry that, you know, we need incentives uh, to get the SAF industry moving. Uh, Everyone points to the success of policies in the US and everyone's looking for something similar around that. I thought it was quite interesting. Airlines 23 and you get a kind of, you know, that's it's a very specific perspective from the uk you know and how they're how they're approaching it but i did i sort of sensed from a few of the speakers uh, uh you know including the the transport minister a bit more optimism around hydrogen i think that's true and i think that's maybe partly um obviously easyjet and who had uh, david morgan was there their chief operating officer he at airlines 2023 and easyjet i think have been maybe outspoken is too strong a word but but have certainly gone bigger on the idea that hydrogen is going to be the thing for short haul travel than maybe we hear from other carriers of a sort of similar scale and and fleet. So the narrative very much is sort of hydrogen for short haul and then uh, long haul SAF. So, but you're right. I wonder um, partly because of that. Uh, I mean, um, the thing with hydrogen, obviously, and Rolls Royce were there as well. It's worth saying who obviously have been doing some work on hydrogen, partly with with EasyJet as well. There was a speaking from Zero Avia there, who are obviously a hydrogen propulsion developer. So there was a, a kind of a, a significant representation from that side of the argument, as it were, at the event. Um, I think, as I say, most roadmaps, you know, entirely new technology like this, new technology propulsion, is a smaller proportion of the mix. Um, you know, in some roadmaps, I think it, it barely registers just on the basis that essentially, you know, if Airbus did get its you know hydrogen powered airframe in, into service by mid 2030s even then you know how many are going to actually be ordered and delivered to, to make a big enough dent in the 2050 kind of roadmap i think there are big questions there um, but equally i think there there is a sense that hydrogen i guess in whether it's in the the nearer or longer term potentially offers a, a solution that perhaps is, is less complex in terms of actually working out the 
the environmental impact than SAF, where obviously there is still a, a degree of, of emissions and depending on you know, the life cycle emissions of, of SAF also have to be taken into account. Contrail avoidance is, is important and perhaps could be an issue that becomes more high profile for the airline industry if research shows that contrails are a bigger issue than perhaps they're considered at the moment. So, you know, hydrogen in theory, I mean, you know, the representative from Zero Avia was kind of talking about how you know hydrogen engines won't need to be maintained as often, that he sees a future where hydrogen is cheaper than jet fuel and SAF. I mean, they would say that, but that was kind of backed up by, by Rolls-Royce as well, the represented from there, you know, sort of saying that because hydrogen is likely to be a solution for more than just the airline industry, um, it could really be one of those situations like we've seen in the wider, I suppose, energy markets where, you know, renewable energy has really come down in price against, you know, older fossil fuel industries, you know, that hydrogen could have that kind of exponential growth that, that really drives price down. Yeah, so I think there's a degree of excitement around that potential and you know potentially lowering the operating costs for airlines you know against fossil fuels whether burning fossil fuel whether that's through SAF or or traditional jet fuel so you know all with the caveat that like SAF there are huge hurdles to overcome I mean a very important caveat is that certainly the, the speakers were talking about the UK and you know the UK's hydrogen production levels whether you know whether that goes into power to liquid SAF which is a potential route for it or whether it is to be burnt in the uh, propulsion systems on its own with the levels of production that the UK is forecasting barely touch the size even just to feed the airline industry um, you know through to 2050 um, so you know when you talk about other industries potentially wanting it there's there's clearly as with SAF the biggest issue I think is going to be getting hold of this stuff and with the added, added complication obviously of hydrogen that it doesn't go into existing technology so it's just a bit further away but but yeah I, I can see why there's excitement about it I think um, when you view it in isolation I think when you view it as part of the 2050 journey perhaps it's um, its impact there is is limited under even under the, the best case scenarios. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay, well, after the break, we're going to look at another sector of the market. We're going to be looking at air cargo. Hello, listeners. I'm Andy Mason, and I want to introduce you to Beyond Entertainment, a new podcast from Panasonic Avionics. Each week, we sit down with the best and brightest in our industry for a quick chat on the future of passenger experience. Everything from display and audio technology to in-flight Wi-Fi and killer digital content to meaningful market research. We're looking at what's now, what's new, and what's next. So join us as we explore the passenger experience. Go beyond entertainment. Available now on your favorite podcasting platforms or on our website, panasonic.aero forward slash beyond entertainment. So welcome back. And we're going to look at uh, the air freight market now. And uh, the air freight market is always traditionally uh, seen as a, as a bellwether for what happens in the in the passenger business. Um, I don't know if that's a good or a, <laughs> or a bad <laughs> thing, Lewis, because air freight, of course, was sort of the, the saviour of, of the airline industry to some extent during COVID, uh, you know, creating a large, you know, a large booming sector, especially as obviously a lot of the belly capacity of passenger flights was taken away and you saw lots of airlines 
converting aircraft into passenger aircraft in, on a temporarily temporary basis into freighters or praters as we managed to call them um and i suppose there's a certain inevitability that as the rest of the world and the business both the passenger business but also other sectors uh, involved in uh, the transportation of cargo got back on their feet that air cargo might have a challenge and it is having a bit of a challenge isn't it it is yeah it's really striking because it's it's not a part of the industry that we dip into as much as the obviously the passenger side which is kind of a, a constant for us but but i it was quite striking for me because i there's an iata cargo symposium i think in the third quarter of um last year and then i've recently visited um brussels for the TIACA, the um, International Air Cargo Association's um, Executive Summit. Yeah, there, there's a marked difference in the mood in that industry. I think, as you say, it, it went through um, such a high during COVID. Now, there were multiple factors, obviously, that, that led to that. These are quite well known. We we know that shipping had challenges, which um, meant that the modal shift became more attractive. Air cargo was, I think, always more expensive than shipping. It traditionally is by you know, several, six times or whatever. It never became cheaper than shipping, but the price gap closed. Uh, shipping had challenges around its reliability as well. And there were speakers, particularly at the Tiaka event, saying that while air cargo is ultimately beholden to the, I guess, global economic forces, probably more than anything, it also doesn't take much um, you know, in the shipping industry for its reliability to to drop and obviously during covid you know, there were issues like china's lockdowns and you know affecting massive ports and things that affected all these things so you know air cargo benefited there particularly freighter operators i think benefited during covid because of the amount of belly capacity that was grounded so we know full well um that you know thousands of aircraft were, were grounded globally at times and for freighter operators that meant you know demand kind of shifted towards them um, and, and all the while, this kind of higher demand, which meant load factors rose and, and rates went up. So the amount that, that could be charged was much higher by a very significant amount. Um, so actually, um, during COVID, it wasn't necessarily that, that the tonnage being carried was was that much higher by the industry as a whole. It, it More than anything, it was that rates were um, really, really high. So, you know, the yields were was spectacular really compared with what had come before and pre-covid air cargo hadn't been going through the best time anyway because of some of the china us um, trade tensions for example um so it kind of created this false situation which you know i think in hindsight very much look, looks like a temporary effect and then it's almost the reversal of the, the passenger fortune since then really looking at the yields for the cargo since the highs in 21 there's almost you know a straight line coming down to where we are today a slight slight uptick i think going into the last quarter of this year but it wasn't clear whether that was simply because of um higher fuel costs and um, being passed on but but yeah and you know demand i think at this point is sort of slightly below pre-covid levels so it's it's been quite a harsh kind of journey back to normalization and i think the biggest difference i noticed between um the two events and talking to people in the industry and hearing from them on the panels etc is there was still a bit of optimism i think last year that air cargo had this you know a seat near the top of the table and that 
that airlines were you know going to make more decisions around network etc about thinking about freight that you know it proved its worth during covid had been so important that, that it couldn't be ignored um, but then I think economic reality has has hit home a bit. It, yes, it's a bit of a um, a bit of a challenge. Now we we end up with the air cargo market slightly uh, uh, different, obviously, to the passenger market. Obviously, the passenger mm. business you have the the summer peak. I mean, this the, these months now are kind of the the peak period for air cargo, aren't they? Is the is there kind of hope that things? Yeah. Are, are okay now i think it was a measure of how much the 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 sector's been kind of um knocked back a bit by how 2023's gone that there were there have been some more positive indicators around yield so the iata data showing yields ticked up slightly i think in september that's the most recent month we have data for i think it's ticking up slightly from what has become a very low baseline based on it's only compared with where we were a couple of years ago. Um, but as I say, when I say it's a measure of where the industry is, I think there wasn't much optimism around you know, what's to come, certainly in the next six months or so for air cargo. I think I think going into 2023, there was a sense that you know the improvement was just around the corner. And I think quite a lot of people thought the second half of this year would bring an improving situation there. Obviously, the, the global economy is um, not in the best state at the moment. There are some indicators. Certainly the US economy, for example, is is um, doing a lot better than maybe um, economies elsewhere. But we know China's had its challenges and that's obviously a huge market. So there, there was certainly a sense that while, as I say, there were some positive indicators around rates and, and demand going into what is the seasonally strongest period. And I think a slight you know, the question being asked is, are we going to have that seasonal boost going into the end of the year? I think inventories are quite high globally, so that tends to mean people don't need air freight as much. But there were indicators that there was a bit of an uptick coming. Having said that, though, as I say, the, the executives that spoke at the event and who, who spoke to on the sidelines were very cautious about um, saying they had any expectations really for the for the next few months. I think most said that probably towards the end of 2024 in terms of like a, a structural, you know, forgetting the seasonal impacts, um, you know, an uptick in, in the global economy and therefore in air cargo demand was was probably the, the, the soonest they were willing to kind of commit to their potentially being something. So certainly nothing before the, the middle of next year. As one last point, I, I suppose that the interesting thing to look at if there is a sort of normalization or a return to the normal dynamics that drive air cargo i suppose the question is to what extent e-commerce has has changed that market and and perhaps provides a bigger opportunity or or you know another market i mean the the world has uh, during the pandemic in particular got you know embraced uh, deliveries of almost everything and and to some extent that is continuing isn't it yeah the key thing about e-commerce i think and there's a couple but one i'd say is so uh, d- just to give some wider context i think there's some data that was really interesting is that um, shipping accounts for 97 percent i think of global trade in terms of tonnage and, and air cargoes three percent so you can see how a, a tiny change in shipping can have an outside impact on on air cargo 
and this is part of the challenge for why why air cargo's destiny isn't always in its own hands is that you know so much of this um cargo can be transported by sea um where it's much cheaper um and air cargo you know is on the fringes kind of relying on the you know things just ticking enough in its direction for air cargo to become viable obviously there are you know whether it's pharmaceuticals that kind of area where where air cargo the speed is important and i i think that the speed is the advantage that air cargo has and when you mentioned e-commerce i think it is a market where you know shippers can't choose to use shipping um because you know it can't take two weeks when, when you've ordered <laughs> something on on amazon whatever or one of the chinese e-commerce platforms speed is is everything so e-commerce i think is is seen as an important area very much because it is so much in air cargo's wheelhouse it's it's the only solution essentially obviously drones um might come into it at some point but but still likely to be under airline control so so yeah the the that is why e-commerce is a significant thing for for air cargo it, it it's it's got that market if it wants it i would say i, I don't think it's um would be described by many people as a game changer i think its size is you know not insignificant but it's not you know going to move the dial too much at the moment but equally so i did one panelist did say that without e-commerce the growth options for air cargo would be you know borderline non-existent essentially I mean, e-commerce is the the growth area so yeah there's there's potential there and and, and one to keep an eye on and to certainly give give some long-term confidence that air cargo can see some structural structural growth um you know in the medium long term absolutely excellent okay we'll leave it there i think thank you lewis thanks Graham. we will be back in a month's time with our thoughts of the year that have closed and mm-hmm. maybe some some forecasts or projections for what to expect in, in 2024 are you ready for that yeah everything's going to be fine don't worry <laughs> Uh, excellent our thanks to panasonic avionics for sponsoring the podcast do give the beyond entertainment podcast a listen a reminder you can catch up on all the news and stories we've mentioned in this podcast including uh, news orders analysis from the dubai air show and our coverage from the airlines 23 event and you can see that at flightglobal.com if you've enjoyed the podcast please like and review us don't forget to subscribe so you get a new episode in your podcast feeds automatically and we'll see you again next time